Good morning, good opin, que pasa mi amigos, me llamo Wendell Wallace, standing amongst the tallest, here to talk about a podcast named Wendell's World in Sports, a show talking about what is happening on the basketball of courts, the football of fields, to reveal my thoughts and opinions and other worldly dimensions about what is happening in the everyday of college basketball, my Georgetown Hoyas and the NBA, to talk about who's doing poorly, who's doing well in college football and the NFL for Messias. And my Mademoiselles. Born and raised from the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, M.D., this skillful sports talker MC will take you on a sports field expedition that will leave you with no other decision than to make listening to Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, your main mission. Treasures a pleasure together as I discuss the important sports topics that are a must and crush and destroy it like the New England Patriots or Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. TJ, watch out for the next episode and make sure you download, subscribe with great pride so people will highly rate along with giving great reviews to create clues for people to follow so this podcast can remain the king like LeBron through yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I am recording this podcast on a Sunday afternoon, anticipating game five of the NBA finals between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. I wanted to get this out early before the game started because after the performance that Stephen Curry had in game four of the finals, I just want to go ahead and really concentrate on that and talk about that the best game so far of the series. Before I do that, as always, I want to thank you. I want to send a special dedication for those who are watching this episode on YouTube, if you could just go ahead and like this video and also go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, I would very much appreciate it. And for those who are listening to this podcast, whether you're listening to it on Amazon or iTunes or Spotify, anywhere where you're listening to this podcast, if you could just go ahead, download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, man. Man, I would very much appreciate it. So uh, thank you very much for everybody who is either listening or watching this episode. All right, man, let's just get into it. The NBA Finals Game 4 series tied at two games apiece. Golden State wins Game 4 in Boston, 107-97. Just, just when you think that the Boston Celtics had everything under control, just when you thought that you had some type of understanding of the series in terms of, okay, Boston is the better team. They show that they're the better team. Um, after game three, it's pretty much a situation with the injuries to Steph Curry and the way that the other players for Golden State have been playing, that if the Celtics can just not turn the ball over or do stupid things or not shoot an abysmal uh, uh, percentage in this game, that they're going to win this series, whether it be in five games or six games. They're going to take a three-to-one series lead. They're going to go back to Oakland. They're going to go back to San Francisco. The Warriors are going to put up one final stand. Win or lose, they come back to Boston, and Boston closes it out. And in most instances, man, that's the way it goes for the most part. But, man, you've been watching this Boston Celtics team play in the playoffs all season. I've been watching this Boston Celtics team play throughout the, uh, throughout the playoffs. We've been following this team ever since the beginning of the season where they started off slowly, and then they turned around along with the Dallas Mavericks of becoming the two best teams record-wise in the NBA, taking it then to the playoffs and doing what they need to do in terms of sweeping the Brooklyn Nets, beating the defending champions and the Milwaukee Bucks, and then taking down the Miami Heat, Milwaukee, and Miami in two epic, hard-fought seven-game series battles. 
Coming to the Golden State Warriors series, the NBA Finals, everything at stake in terms of what the Boston Celtics were speaking about in terms of, hey man, this could be the start of a mini dynasty. This could be the start, the beginning of the Jason Tatum era. This could be a huge leap for Jason Tatum in terms of what his reputation is, not just being an all-NBA player, not just being one of the better under-25, if not one of the best under-25 players in the NBA, but this was a situation where Jason Tatum had it all set out for him to be that guy, to be in the Giannis, to be in the upper echelon of great NBA players. I would say Joel Embiid. I would say Nikola Jokic. But what's the two, what's the one thing that separates Giannis between Jokic and Embiid? It's a championship. The fact that Embiid and Jokic hadn't even made the NBA Finals yet. Jason Tatum had an opportunity to do something that even those two great NBA players hadn't done. The two-time NBA MVP in the regular season, Nikola Jokic, couldn't do. Couldn't do. Albeit, hey man, you could speak about injuries, you could speak about tougher conferences, you could speak about better team being a Boston, you could speak about all that type of stuff. The bottom line would be that if Jason Tatum could win himself a championship and be the main guy to win himself a championship. We're speaking about a guy under the age of 25, under the age of 26, being the main guy, being the main reason, being the franchise guy for his team winning a championship. Unprecedented in the history of the NBA. Magic didn't do it. He had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It took Jordan until he was 28 to win himself an NBA championship. It took LeBron seven years and 27 at the age of 27 for him to win his first championship. It took uh, it took outside of Larry Bird, who won a championship being the main guy uh, in his second year of the NBA, Kobe had Shaq. Shaq was the main guy when Kobe was just a young pup at 21, 22, 20 years of age, and they were winning themselves three championships in a row. Tim Duncan had David Robinson, all of the great NBA players that you're speaking about who won championships early, who who are going down as all-time NBA greats, took them some time and had a little help in terms of veteran leadership and having another player equal or better than he was at that time to win himself a championship. And then we go to Jason Tatum, who is that guy under the age of 25, to go ahead and do what he's doing. It would be unprecedented. Put in, throw him in there with, throw him in there with only Larry Bird and probably Bill Russell, other two Celtics legends who have been the cornerstone and been that important, had the responsibility at that age with that less of experience than Jason Tatum had to lead himself a championship, surrounded by the players that he had to lead himself to a championship. And for someone like uh, Jason Tatum, uh, who does he have if he wins this championship? Who does he have for his Robin, for his sidekick, for his other guy? What, Jason, uh, Jalen Brown? Nice. But this ain't like LeBron with D. Wade. Oh, and add on Chris Bosh. This isn't Tim Duncan with David Robinson. This isn't Magic with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar still in his prime. This isn't Michael Jordan with Scottie Pippen. This isn't anything like that. This is Jalen Brown, man. So everything leg legacy-wise was set up for Jason Tatum right now. And it still might be. Still might be a situation where the Boston Celtics could win this NBA Finals in six games. Could win this Finals in seven games. But, man, they missed a golden opportunity. How about that? Golden State opportunity with the uh, loss at home on Friday night, 107-97. to Golden State outscored Boston 58-43 in the second half, 28-19 in the fourth quarter, 17-3 run in the last 5-18 of the fourth quarter by the Golden State Warriors. There we go. And I just finished talking about the greatness of Steph Curry and the greatness of, excuse me, I just finished talking about the greatness of Jason Tatum. Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Steph Curry. This podcast is all about Steph Curry. The first part of this podcast is all about Steph Curry. This podcast is all about, in terms of the first segment of this podcast, it's about Steph Curry. Saved the season for the Warriors and added to his legacy in victory. 43 points, 14 to 26 shooting from the field overall, 7 to 14 from the three-point line, grabbed 10 rebounds, 4 assists, scored 10 points in crunch time when the score within, was within 5 points or fewer and played all of this with an injured foot, ankle, I don't know what it was, and played 
41 minutes. Put it down right there, Ben. Put it down right there in one of the greatest games in NBA Finals history, at least in recent NBA Finals history. We're speaking about putting it up there with Game 6 of the 2021 NBA Finals where Giannis scored 50 points, grabbed 14 rebounds, 2 assists, blocked 5 shots, and a closeout victory. We're speaking about putting it in the same category as Matthew Johnson, Game 6, 1980 NBA Finals with the LA Lakers against the... Philadelphia 76ers with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out because of a sprained ankle. Magic comes in, fills in at center, starts at center, scores 42 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists. Hello. Scored 9 points in the last 5 minutes of the matchup, bringing Los Angeles its 7th title in this first title and a long time starting the Laker dynasty of the 1980s. Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, Game 5 against the Utah Jazz, the 1997 NBA Finals. We all know about that. Scored 38 points, added 7 rebounds, 5 assists. Bulls came back with 16 points in the first half to win the game. Came into Game 5 with a series tied at 2-2 two two with the Utah Jazz. Jordan scored 15 points in the fourth, including a 3-pointer with 25 seconds left to put the Bulls up by 2 to win the game, to stay ahead and to win the game. Bulls clinch the title in their next game. Isaiah Thomas, Detroit Pistons against the Los Angeles Lakers in Game 6 of the 1988 Finals. Put with put Steph Curry's performance right up there with them. Thomas started the third quarter scoring 14 points in Game 6, then twisted his ankle, came back hobbling, put the Pistons on his back for the rest of the third score, quarter, scoring 11 of Detroit's last 15 points of that quarter to put the Pistons ahead. They lost game six, but Thomas had 43 points. That man was limping around, doing all type of crazy stuff. It was one of the most unbelievable athletic feats in the NBA that I had seen in my young life leading up to that point. Put the Stephen Curry, and look, again, we don't know how hurt Stephen Curry is. In terms of his ankle, it could be nothing where it's like, you know, no big deal. It could be something to where it's a lot worse than he's letting on that we know of. But all I'm saying is the performance that he played, the performance that he put on last or uh, the last game, man, put it right up there in the annals of the greatest individual performances in NBA history as far as the playoffs and the finals is concerned. Now, yes, you can talk about the situation where, look, man, it was game four. And if the Boston Celtics win this series, or if the Boston Celtics win this series in Game Six, and Clay, and uh, excuse me, Steph Curry has two clunkers, or three clunkers, or three below averages, or doesn't come close to the performance that he had in Game Four, in all actuality, in the totality of things, what exactly does Game Four really mean if the Golden State Warriors do not win this championship, or if Stephen Curry doesn't reach near the level that he put up? in terms of the performance that he had in Game 4. What did that performance really mean when you're speaking about when you're comparing this to Giannis closing out a series for an NBA championship? When you're speaking about Magic Johnson closing out a series for an NBA championship? When you're speaking about Michael Jordan coming in visibly sick, flu-like symptoms because of bad pizza served with the room service when they were in Utah, coming in and giving... Chicago, the lead in the series. The only thing Stephen Curry did with that performance was just to even the series and give Golden State home court advantage, which we'd seen in this playoff with the Boston Celtics game six against the Milwaukee Bucks, game seven against the Miami Heat. It could quite possibly be a three-peat in terms of Miami going on the, excuse me, uh, Boston going on the road and winning um, game five or game seven. So in Shouldn't we kind of wait a little bit before we start lionizing this performance by Steph Curry? Number one, we're always in the moment. So, of course, we're going to go gaga and overboard and maybe take him to levels that maybe you shouldn't go to. Guilty as charged on that one. But yet and still, we're speaking about a performance by Curry that was, uh, it, it could change the way that the NBA moves forward now in terms of saving what could be a potential dynasty and thwarting a potential dynasty in the Boston Celtics with that performance. It was the best victory for Golden State, their dynasty, pseudo-dynasty, mini-dynasty, somewhat dynasty, whatever you want to put the Golden State era of Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry 
those guys who have won multiple championships, whatever you want to define them in terms of the success or in terms of the lifespan that they've had and they've played together, whatever you want to call it, dynasty, whatever, it was the most important victory for that group and for this era of Golden State basketball since Game 6 of the 2016 Western Conference Finals against the Oklahoma City Thunder. You remember that game, don't you? Down three games to two on the road at OKC, the team that had Serge Ibaka, who was still uh, a valuable basketball presence, and even though he's not one right now, when you're speaking about Kevin Durant, when you're speaking about Russell Westbrook, when you're speaking about Alvin Robinson, when you're speaking about that team, 2016 on the road against OKC, one of the most hostile places that you can play on the road at that time. Golden State winning the game, 108-101, outscoring Oklahoma in the fourth quarter, 33-18. Clay Thompson was his best game ever. Yeah, you can talk about the fact that you put up 61 points and only 13 dribbles, and you can speak about all of the career games scoring-wise that he's had in the regular season. When you're speaking about probably his most memorable and best game, when you take a look at what everything that was at stake, it was game six of the 2016 Western Conference Finals against OKC. Made 11 three-point shots in the game, scored 19 points in the fourth, had 41 for the game. Curry had over 30. The um, Warriors won that series and uh, ultimately lost in the uh, finals to the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, which preempted the Warriors to go make a move and improve their team by getting some guy named Kevin Durant in what proved to be a league-changing decision and acquisition by the Golden State Warriors at that time. But, you know, that was probably leading up to Game 4 this past Friday in Boston. That was probably the, that was probably the uh, second biggest win for the Warriors, or, you know, this was the second biggest win, or you can speak about it's been almost six years since that trio of Clay, Steph, and Draymond had faced that type of adversity like they were facing in Game 4 in Boston Friday night, and Curry was, man, the guy was electric, man. And, and you know, he, he came out with a situation where, man, he knew the he knew the stakes, man. He knew the deal. And he knew that this was a situation where, you know, the cool, calm, collected Steph Curry was going to have to take a backseat a little bit. Not saying that not saying that Steph is laissez-faire in terms of his demeanor. He's demonstrative. You know, he's, uh, you know, he shows his emotions. He puts his emotions out there. Not like Draymond, of course. But, um, you know, a lot of times you can definitely see what Clay is thinking and feeling out there. He ain't Kawhi. He ain't Tim Duncan in terms of showing his emotions. You know, he puts it out there. But it seemed like in... Game four, man, he was just taking it to a level, level, talking shit to the uh, Celtics fan base in the first quarter. I mean, the flexing, the pumping, the reactions. I mean, you could you could tell. You could see how important this game was for Steph. And, of course, for the rest of the Golden State Warriors. But, I mean, you know, he, he seemed to be taking it up another level, almost jumping out of character, shall we say, almost taking over the persona a little bit of Draymond Green who kept it under wraps, didn't play very well, but yet and still, we'll get to Draymond in a second, but yet and still, you know, after after really game two and three, you know, maybe towards the end of game three a little bit, the yapping and the nonsense and the Dennis Rodman antics and the outbursts and all, all of these things that Draymond was exhibiting in games two and three, he took it down a little bit near the end of game three and was very quiet in game four. His, normally demonstrative self was not there in game four. And it almost seemed like, I'm not saying this happened, it almost seemed like Coach Kerr and assistant coach, soon-to-be Sacramento head coach Mike Brown and GM Bob Myers and Clay and Steph maybe went to Draymond and said, hey, look, man, you know what? Concentrate on doing what you're doing, man. Concentrate on playing Draymond. Don't, you know, I'll take some of that emotion that you're going to give to the refs and give to the Celtics fans and give to everybody else and give to Cedric Maxwell and all this. Uh, you know what? Save that for your podcast. You focus and you funnel all the energy that you would normally expound to those guys. Save it for the court. I'll go ahead and I'll be in the step of like, I'll be that emotional leader. Then they'll go out and then they'll yell and scream and talk shit to the fans and flex and maybe talk a little shit and all that type of stuff. I'll be that guy. You just concentrate on playing defense. You just concentrate on moving the ball. You just concentrate 
on being better. And it seemed like, as again, it seemed like Steph took over a little bit of Draymond's personality for uh, game four. And it was uh, it was great. But, you know, you got to sit here and I'm talking about this, talking about game four of the NBA Finals here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, speaking about it. Curry was far from a one-man show for the Golden State Warriors. He was close. He was close. He was close. But there were some performances by some of the key players, role players for the Warriors where, you know what, if they didn't contribute like they did, Golden State, despite the greatness of Steph Curry, what he, that, that, that performance that performance that he gave in Game 4, Golden State is still not winning that basketball game. If you speak about some other Warriors that stepped up and uh, played the game, the, some of the players for the Warriors that were Warriors and were golden for the state of California and the Bay Area to get it done to send this series back to um, San Francisco, where hopefully... They don't leave their hearts if they have to come back when they come back for game six, win or lose. Andrew Wiggins, 17 points, 15 rebounds, was a plus 20 in the plus minus. Played excellent defense on Jason Tatum. Stepped up his game. I I misspoke. I misspoke when I categorized Andrew Wiggins on my last podcast and not playing up to snuff. I, uh, was, uh, I was wrong. I was wrong with that assessment. He's been playing some pretty good basketball. He had not been playing like he was early in his career with the Minnesota Timberwolves. My mistake on that one. So, hey, when I'm wrong, just like the uh, dad said in Dirty Dancing when he confronted Johnny as they were leaving the, uh, when they were leaving the auditorium at the end of uh, the movie, I know you weren't the one that got Penny in trouble. You're right. When I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. You look wonderful out there. Getting back to the podcast, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Andrew Wiggins? You played wonderful out there. So, and he was. He played excellent defense, hit the boards, played with the aggression and verb and vigor that uh, was needed. Was needed. Where would the Golden State Warriors have been, again, despite everything that Steph Curry did? The immaculate, unbelievable, legendary performance that Steph Curry gave. How much of the, how much of the singing and the, you know, the serenading of how great Steph is, how much would that have been tempered if it wasn't for Kevin Looney? Because I'm telling you right now, if it wasn't for Kevin Looney along with Andrew Wiggins and some others, Golden State ain't winning that basketball game. You know it, I know it, people with a brain know it, people who watch the game know it, they're not winning that basketball game. Kevin Looney, again, we talked about Andrew Wiggins being a plus 20 and the plus minus. He was second on the team when it came to that. You know who was first? Kevin Looney, plus 21, played 26 minutes, had 11 rebounds. And the most important thing that he did, keeping Robin, Robert Williams III off the, uh, off the offensive and defensive glass. Robert Williams had 10 rebounds at halftime. He had two to remaining for the rest of the game, finished with 12. Now, there was some situations where he was injured. There was a situation where he had to come off the floor because his injured knee was acting up. But, but yet and still, the defensive presence, the inside presence, and the ability to mitigate the advantage that the Boston Celtics had in the rebounding department, man, it can't go under the radar in terms of the adulation that needs to be cast upon um, Kevin Looney, and he had a great game. You know, Clay Thompson scored 18 points, played 41 minutes, made two important three-point shots in the fourth quarter, a key basket that uh, was about, what, about um, probably about 426 left in the game, somewhere around there, gave the uh, Warriors a lead that they would not relinquish, 95-94 at the time, and put Boston into oh-shit mode, mode, and I'll get to Boston in my second last uh, segment of the program, of the podcast. But Clay was awesome. For what Clay is right now, especially when we're speaking about the performances that he had in games one and two, game three, he was better, but he wasn't impactful. He was better than he was in game one and two when you're speaking about game three, but game four, without question, when you're speaking about not just shooting, but also uh, defending some of the defensive possessions that he had. Clay played his best game of the uh, of the series, seven of 17, and... Uh, Finished uh, with uh, 18 points and played 41 min- minutes, as I mentioned before. And 
can we not forget for the Warriors, Jordan, Jordan Poole, who kept Golden State in the game in the first half with 10 points in the first half, eight in the second quarter? I mean, maybe he found his mojo, and maybe he can take that back to San Francisco where he can elevate his game even more. Role players playing better at home than they do on the road. Jordan Poole, if you're speaking about quote-unquote role players, the key role players for the Golden State Warriors is going to be Jordan Poole. If he can take what he did in the second quarter in the first half in Boston and then, again, take it over to San Francisco and have that home crowd behind him in the, in, in the routine that he knows so well, the environment that he knows so well. I mean, that could only be a huge plus for the Golden State Warriors moving forward in Game 5. Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr speaking about what's happening in the NBA Finals Game 4 here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Steve Kerr, getting it done. I can see why then this man is now going to be coaching the USA Olympic team. Steve Kerr earned, earned his chops tonight, man. You know, a lot of time because of the talent that he's had on the team and then the dip in wins in productions in championships since they lost Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson got injured and Steph Curry missed most of the season where they won, I believe, only 15 games because of a wrist uh, injury and such that we've kind of, I think, I think just a little bit, just a little bit of the luster have been taken off of Steve Kerr from when he was winning championships and going to NBA finals every single year. Man, Steve Kerr in game four on Friday reminded us that, oh yeah, that man can coach. Oh yeah, that man is an elite coach. Oh yeah, that guy just doesn't just sit back, roll out the ball and say, okay, Clay, Steph, you shoot threes, Jaylon, you yell at the refs, and I'll sit here with Mike Brown kicking it and uh, talking about what's happening in the world. It's a lot more than that as far as the coach, an elite coach. We speak about Eric Spolstra. We speak about others. Steve Curry, right up there with him. Change the starting lineup by starting Otto Porter. Any man who's smart enough to start a guy from Georgetown University, you know that man's a basketball genius, Otto Porter, my man. Benched Draymond Green. And what really was a decision where you, you could speak about the benching of the of Draymond Green being gutsy and all that type of thing. I think, number one, the relationship that they've had, the trust that Draymond and Coach Kerr had built through their time together, through the intense games that they've played at such high stakes that they've played, uh, that they've been through, um, while Draymond was not happy. I mean, you know, the, the, the decision to do that was predicated on, A, Draymond not playing very well, or Draymond not playing well for an extended period of time, and we're speaking about multiple games. And also, again, the relationship that they built, the trust that they built, the... Um, for for uh, Coach Kerr to uh, do that with 7.32 left to go in the fourth quarter. Sat green for the next four minutes. During that time, Golden State outscored the uh, Celtics 11-4. It was a situation also where I think was, man, this was this was a decision where it was kind of like, again, we've got to win this game. If we do not win this game, this series is over. Technically, unofficially, it is over. So I've got to make this move, not not fretting or not thinking about what's going to be happening after the game if we lose. If we lose, it doesn't matter. We're going to lose the series anyway. So if I quote-unquote lose Draymond for the rest of the season because of this decision, who cares? First of all, he ain't playing well enough for even for me to be thinking about that. If I lose Draymond for the rest of the season or for the rest of the series, if I lose him for this benching, has he shown up yet? Has Draymond Green showed up yet? If this is the Draymond Green I'm going to be losing, I want him lost to begin with. So this was a situation where I think Steve Kerr just came in saying, look, I'm trying to win this game. We need to win this game. Let's just win this game. Let's even the series. Let's get back our home court advantage and not worry about Draymond's feelings later. That's where the flight back to uh, Oakland, that's where meeting, you know, you know, kicking back and meeting and having lunch or dinner or, or you know, just a... Just a uh, intimate uh, conversation with Draymond, and maybe again the core group for the Warriors of Wisdom. I don't. I don't know how much of a blow. I don't. I don't know how much ego massaging. I don't know damage control, if you want to call that. That the team and the coach and the management is going to have to uh, do with Draymond, if any. But uh, this is a situation here where man is like, look, man, Draymond, you're not playing well, and Draymond knows he's not playing well. 
And yes, there's been stretches before in your career where you haven't been playing well and I've kept with you. But you know what, man? We won the game. We won the game. And believe me, if you are playing well, you will not be taken out of the game. If you're playing pretty well, you will not be taken out of the game. This was a situation where we needed this game. This was a situation I took you out. The team played better. We won the game. We won the game. We won the game. So let's just move on from there. You need what you know what you need to do to stay in the game. I know what you know to stay in the game. Let's go ahead and do it. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. But this game, game four, NBA Finals, June, what, 9th? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, June 10th, 9th, 10th, whatever. 2022, especially if the Warriors go ahead and win this series, man, it's all going to be about Stephen Curry, man. This is all going to be about Stephen Curry. Um, the legacy of Stephen Curry. You know what? I think you can speak about when you're, you know, when you're trying to uh, define the game of of Steph Curry. Greatest shooter of all time, changed the game because of his range on the shot and and, and all these other things, a three-time champion, all, all, all of these things. I mean, where do we put him as far as the greatest guards of all time? The, is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? All of this stuff, the, 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 the journey that he took from his end of his junior year in high school, not being offered a walk-on opportunity at Virginia Tech. Thank you very much, Seth Greenberg. You will never live that down. Going to Davidson, doing what he did at Davidson, being drafted by the Warriors, uh, having ankle injuries to the point to where he signed an undervalued contract with the with the with the clear, you know, situation where he could have been traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, as I mentioned before, there was a time where during the early part of Steph Curry's career, because of his ankle injuries because of the ankle injuries that needed surgery. There were talks where it was like, look, man, we need to get better defensively at the center position. Oh, there's a guy out in Milwaukee named Andrew Bogut who could be made available. And the Milwaukee Bucks are interested in doing something with us. But it's going to be coming down to Monta Ellis or Steph Curry. And which one we're going to go with. And you know what? Maybe someone can written. Maybe there'll be a 30 for 30. Maybe there'll be a documentary to where maybe the Warriors at the time did offer the Milwaukee Bucks Steph Curry. And the Bucks looked at that and said, yeah, you know what? With his ankle injury and everything? I don't think so. We'll take Monta. And to see all the trials and tribulations that Curry has gone through, to see him where he is now and the trajectory of his career to where it is now, leading up to Game 4. It's pretty special, man. It's pretty unbelievable. It's a great story. It's an awesome story. You know, you're speaking about a guy who ain't 6'8", and, and is an Uber athlete. You know, we're not talking about a guy who is uh, 6'6", with an arm span to make him 6'10", who can jump out of the gym and has, like, you know, God-given, unbelievable athletic uh, ability. We're speaking about a suburban 6'3", uh, sh- uh, shooting guy, slight of build for both of his career. He's he's bulked up now, but Steph ain't jumping out of the gym. You know, Steph is not Allen Iverson with the crossover. You know, he doesn't have that type. Of, he's not John Morant with the speed and the athletic ability. You know, he's not going to be yoked over four, four or five guys. But I think when everything is said and done, with, with with all the stuff, all the platitudes, all of the you know, uh, things that you say about Steph Curry. One thing you, you can also say, I think that he is, when he gets going, I think from the offensive end, I think Steph Curry is the most devastating player in league history. Yes, I will say that over LeBron. Yes, I will say that over <gasps> Michael Jordan. I think when Curry gets it going, man, I think he's the most devastating player in the game, in the history of the game. I'm telling you, man, and I've been watching this game for a long flipping time. No one breaks your back, takes your heart, takes your will, steals your soul, messes with your mentals multiple times in the game like Steph Curry with that three-point shot, man. Nobody. nobody. We, we've never seen what Steph Curry is doing. There is no, well, before Steph Curry, well, if Steph Curry were playing in the 1960s, he would be this guy. Maybe he would be Jerry West or something like that. If um, 
If um, Steph Curry was playing in the 70s or 80s, he would be this guy or that guy. I mean, there's no real lineage. There's real no lineage from guys who were playing before to what Steph Curry is doing right now with his range, with his ability to shoot the basketball, with just his – he's the best hero shot maker in the history of the game. And there's been no one like him. I mean, we can go down – and talk about Michael Jordan. You know, before Michael Jordan, there was Dr. J. Before Dr. J, there was Connie Hawkins. Before Connie Hawkins, there was Elgin Baylor. Blah, 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 blah. blah. There's always a boom, blah, 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 up to um, the player of today. You know, Luka Doncic, if he was playing in Magic Johnson's era, he would be Larry Bird. If Larry Bird was playing in the 1950s and 60s, he would be Dolph Shays. If he was playing in the 1960s, he would be Bob Pettit. If he was playing in the 1970s, I don't know who the hell he would be. But, I mean, what I'm saying is there's, there's, there's some precedent, and I'm quite sure if you look far enough, if you dig deeper in the history of the game, that there's probably someone like Steph Curry-ish like. But, man, just the bullshit that he's doing with these shots and just the way that he can just flip and take your heart, man. He has the most devastating shot in NBA history. And I'm telling you that because, like I mentioned before, no one – puts more fear in your heart. I mean, LeBron can go down and yam over four or five people and it's like, oh my goodness, that's unbelievable. That's great. Jordan can put it between his legs a couple of times and move and groove against um, Kevin McHale and Larry Bird at the Boston uh, Garden and go for 60-something points and everybody's going to go, oh my goodness, in 40, 50, 60 years from now, his moves and his play is going to be out there for everybody to see on YouTube or whatever social medium comes to the next generation, the generation after that where they could be seeing old video and old footage of these guys playing basketball. But, man, I, I, I tell you, nobody, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing more devastating than a Steph Curry three-point shot at certain times during the game, man. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a situation where it's kind of like, look, he put up some shots in the third quarter against, against Boston where it's just like, what the fuck do I have to do? What the hell do I have to do to stop this guy? It's devastating. And then it messes with your mentals because it's like you get you get scared. LeBron can take it coast to coast. Jordan can beat his man off the dribble, dunk over Batombo, and then wave his finger at him as he's running back down court saying, I got you, biatch. You know, LeBron can do those things. And they can put the fear of God in you. No, no, no question about it. All of the all-time greats. When they got it going, when Wilt got it going, he decided to score. You put he put the fear of God in you because he was so strong and skilled that there was nothing that you could do about it. When Larry wanted to do a thing, there was nothing that you could do about it, and you got scared as hell. When Kareem decided to skyhook you to death, there was nothing that you could do to defend it, and it put the fear of God in you. All of the great players, all of the great offensive players. When James Harden was at his prime, and he decided that he was going to dribble, 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 and go to the foul line twenty five times in the corner, you got scared as shit because basically there was nothing that you can do. When I, when the Iceman saw Kevin Grevy has decided he was going to put up 60, there was nothing that the Washington then Bullets or Kevin Grevy could do to stop the Iceman because he was that potent. He was that devastating. He was that great. So, yes, we're speaking about great players. We're speaking about great offensive players. LeBron, MJ, Kareem, Larry Bird, Rick Barry, all of these guys. Yes, of course, Oscar Robertson. Yes, of course, Elgin Baylor. Yes, of course, that these guys put the fear of God in you when they wanted to. But, man, the way that Steph Curry does it, in terms of not just three-point shots, not just in the three-point shooting, but the degree of difficulty and the time and placement of the game where he starts making those shots. And it's a situation where Steph Curry could take 15 hero shots and miss them all. But yet and still, you're still scared to death because, you know, if he makes just one, he could miss 14, 15 in a row. If he makes just one, your heart skips a beat. The beads of sweat start to come to a river flowing down your, down your face, down to your jersey because you know it's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Because number one, he ain't going to stop. I mean, he's got Mamba mentality like Kobe. Kobe don't give a fuck if he goes over 30 because shot number 31 through 50, he's going he's gonna to make them all. So, you know, Kobe, Kobe was never going to stop shooting. Same thing, with, uh, same thing with Steph Curry. 
He's not going to stop shooting the three-point shots. I don't care how many he misses. I don't care what time and space the situation is in. Kevin, um, um, Stephen Curry is going to start, is going to do a thing. And that puts the fear of God into people. Stephen Curry becomes God on the court because God just made a shot. Now God might make six threes in a row from 35 feet, and there ain't a damn thing that we can do about it. He played Robert Williams III off the court because what do you do on that high pick and roll? You can set a pick and roll 25, 30 feet away from the basket because Steph Curry can go off that pick and in an instant rise up and shoot it and make it time and time again. And if Williams comes up to try to defend that, okay, I'll just go right around you. So, so, so what do you do? How do you defend it? You can't. You can't, you can't, you can't. Kevin Durant's another all-time great scorer where if you just go, there's nothing that you can do. Along with Kyrie, I don't want to leave out some of the other greats. I don't want to be disrespectful to the greatness of those guys. But Steph, as I mentioned before, man, and I also mentioned it, the fact that, hey, by every, when everything is all said and done, the way that he's playing right now, we can have that talk, we can have that argument, we can have that discussion, Steph or KD, in terms of who's the greatest player of their generation. But uh, he was he was amazing. And again, still a lot of basketball to go. Still a lot of basketball to go. But uh, this is this is something, man, what uh, Steph put up. It was all inspiring. But I wasn't so old and fat and worn out and out of shape. I mean, this was a game where, man, you know, this, this, this is a game where people who are going to recount exactly when did I fall in love with the game of basketball or 20, 30, 40 years from now, regardless of how far you made it in terms of playing basketball, in terms of uh, college, pro, high school, whatever, you're going to look back when you're my age and you're going to be like, man, what was the game? What was the situation where I fell in love with basketball? Where I said, man, I got to get out on the, I got to buy a basketball, get on the court and try that shit, man. I got to, I got to do this. This motherfucker is inspiring the fuck out of me. I got to go get a basketball because now I have. Be- I-, I am. Congratulations. I am an NBA fan. At the age of 13, at the age of 11, at the age of 8, at the age of 6, I am an NBA fan. I remember this game, the Stephen Curry game. I don't remember the exact date. I think it was that the year. Was it 2021, 2022? This is what people 25, 30 years from now when they're around my age, or maybe even in the year 2060, 2065, even 2070, they're going to be sitting back, old, worn out, only a few more years on the back nine of their lives, grandkids are around and all that type of shit. They're going to be talking about game four, Steph Curry. Man, that was the game that I became a basketball fan. Damn. Well, Grandpa, this guy's better. This guy can do this. This guy can do that. Bullshit. No, 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 no. You're not disrespecting my dreams. You're not disrespecting my generation. Steph Curry was the man. And you don't believe me? Go YouTube or whatever whatever social media they have going on in the year 2060, 2070, whatever. Go watch Stephen Curry. Go watch that game. Tell me that ain't a bad son of a gun. Don't tell me that man was a bad motherfucker. So that's, that was the game, man. That was the game for Steph Curry, and I'm glad I was there to watch it. Wendell's World of Sports, and like I mentioned before, the Golden State Warriors can lose the next two games, and maybe some of this, some of the shine of this game will be taken off. But, but man, I tell you what, in the moment... It was something else. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. On paper, this is the first time that the Golden State Warriors, a new challenge for them. They are not the better team in the NBA Finals. NBA Finals appearances in 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Four of those series were played against the Cleveland Cavaliers. They went 3-1 and one and gave the one series away when they were up 3-1. And Draymond decided to try to punch L, uh, LeBron James into jewels. And uh, basically gave the momentum to the Cavaliers where they won the series. That was the year that Golden State won 73-9. and And as I mentioned before, they were so taken aback by that loss that they decided to improve their team by going ahead and getting Kevin Durant. The series in 2019, they get the Toronto Raptors. They played without KD. And Thompson blowing out his knee in the series. They were still the better team on paper. This is the first time in their existence as far as guys who have won championships with this organization, coach, coaches and players, that they are 
They are, as far as talent on paper is concerned, and paper don't win the championships. Paper only makes you machets. But um, this is the first time that in this era that uh, they're playing a team that's not better than them. So they're having to rely on their guile. They're going to have to rely on their experience. And most importantly, they're going to have to rely on Steph Curry to get it done. Because unlike 2015, 16, and 17, and 18, the Clay Thompson of 2015, 16, and 17 ain't walking through that door. The Draymond Green of 2015, 16, 17, 18 ain't walking through that door. Lord knows the Andre Iguodala of 2017, 18, and 19 are not walking through that door. He's not walking through that door. Sean Livingston is not walking through that door. Damon West, David West is not walking through that door. All the other players that helped them win championships during that time period and make them the better team talent-wise... During that run, they're not walking through that door. Kevin Durant is not walking through that door. So in this series, they are the team with the lesser talent. But let's see how much greatness and experience goes towards winning a championship when you are not the most talented team. But game four, Steph Curry, marvelous, marvelous. He was marvelous. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, this audio podcast. Thank you so doggone much for watching this podcast on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports. If you could just, again, subscribe to this channel, would appreciate it. If you could like this video, if you feel fit. Would very much appreciate it. And again, watching, listening, listening. Go ahead, subscribe, download, rate, review, and enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. All right, let's go ahead. We spoke about the Warriors. We did all that. Now let's just go ahead just a little bit. Speak about those doggone Boston Celtics. Turnovers, turnovers, and inept half-court offense. Those are the things that got them beat, man. And how many times, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, we're speaking about, doggone it, man. What are the only two things? We said it in the Milwaukee series because without Chris Middleton, the Celtics were a better team. You talked about it with the series against the Miami Heat where the Celtics were a better team. If they could stop with the careless turnovers, if they could stop putting their own obstacles in their own way, if they could just go ahead and just play up to their ability, not only could they be conference champions, which they were doing it the hard way, but they could also be NBA championships, champions, and I get that they're doing it the hard way. If you were watching that game, because I was, if, if you were watching that game and you didn't know what the score was or in terms of, we're, we're not going to tell you what the score is, in terms of we're going to take the score off the scoreboard and we're just going to just, you know, have you watch. We're going to have you um, say 70 to 75% of your concentration, 70 to 75% is going to be devoted to watching this game. Not, not, not everything, not tracking, not writing notes, not doing any of that stuff, but about 70, 75% of your attention is going to be going to this game. Maybe there's some time where you have to do some, some things for the wife or the husband. Sometimes you might be doing some things for the kids. You might run to the bathroom. You might go get something to eat. You might, I don't know, there might be a, another show for a couple of seconds that you want to watch, whatever. There be a, might be a situation where during commercial you uh, turn the channel, watch another show, kind of forget halfway that you're watching the game so you get back. Maybe you're a little bit late coming back from halftime so you missed the first couple of minutes of the half coming back a little late from the first second third or fourth quarter so you miss a little action there the basic thing what i'm saying is that if you weren't 
really paying attention to this game, and they didn't have to score in front of you. 75% attention span going to this game. Wouldn't you think that the Celtics were ahead a lot more than what they were? It just seemed that way. First quarter, game started off. Boston jumped out to a good lead, 11-4, trailed by 5, 23-18. Then with about two minutes remaining, got it back into the groove again and led by 128-27. Second quarter was closed throughout, but Celtics still had a halftime lead by five despite not playing great, despite the ups and downs of both teams. Third quarter, I just felt that multiple times, man, the, the Celtics were like they were ready. The opportunity was there for them to really take hold of the game, for really for them to put their signature and stranglehold on the game, to really go for the kill. And yes, it was five, six, seven-point game. But it just seemed like every time Clay would hit those hero shots that seemed like a kick of the nuts to the Celtics, even before the fourth quarter, that the Celtics were able to respond and you had the home crowd urging them on. That home crowd was lit. And it just seemed like, man, if, if every 10, 15 minutes that they flashed the score and then took it off, you would probably look and say, really, Boston's only up by that much? Or, damn, that game was this close? I don't know, man. Maybe it's just me. But I just, I just felt that it. it just seemed like every time Boston was ready to uh, go ahead and start putting some distance between themselves and Golden State or really take control of the game. Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, somebody was like, no, 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 uh-uh, get your ass back here. No, no, no. No, I see you trying to build that lead from 5 to from, from five to 10 and going to 15 and then, you know, blowing us out. No, 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 bring your ass back over here. Y'all ain't going nowhere. Mm-mm, we still got the fourth quarter to play. And in the fourth quarter for the Celtics, that's where the game turned, man. With 5.18 remaining, if you remember... Marcus Smart made a three-pointer to put Boston up, Boston up 94-90, right? And you're saying to yourself, boom! Even with Steph, even with Clay, you were like, all right, all right. We, we, we got this. We, we're in control, right? Didn't you feel that way? It's like it's somewhat, again, even with Curry having the game that he was having, right? It was like still a situation where... Boston, you took a look at this game, and you're still like, Boston is the better team. They went up 94-90. Boom, we should have this game with 5-18. But then, all of a sudden, the Warriors said, let me show you all why we're champions, biatches. Um, 5-18, Smart made a three-pointer, right? 94-90. From there, Boston would score only three more points. That's where the 17-3 run started right there. If you take a look at the remaining possessions, Wiggins scored a basket. 94-92. Okay, okay, okay. But 436 left. Jalen Brown tries to go one-on-one. Misses an ugly, unorthodox runner from about 13, three, uh, 13 feet. Golden State comes down. Clay Thompson hits a three-pointer. Boston's up. Boston is down 95-94. Okay. All right. All right. 412 left. Stagnant offense. Brown misses a bad three-point shot. Curry makes a running 12-footer, all of a sudden down, with 4-12 left to go. Golden State is up 97-94, and I, I, I just feel that that was the time, I think. I think, I don't know, I think panic is, choke panic, I don't think that's the right word, but I think the, I think the sense of urgency for Boston to respond and what they were going to be anticipating from Steph and Clay, mainly Steph, but the rest of the Warriors. I think it was a situation where I think for the first time in that game, it was like Boston thought, oh, shit, this is where championship experience comes in. Not consciously. I don't think they're going back to the bench looking at each other going, oh, this is what championship experience must uh, look like. But you know, somewhere in the psyche, it had to be like, look, man, these guys are – these guys are champions, man, or champions. They've been through this shit before. I mean, you, and, and they got Steph Curry, who's been like banging in three pointers and being unconscious all night. So, so I think panic and choking is not the right word to use when you're speaking about the Celtics and what happened down the stretch. But I just felt that, hey, man, you know, they're ready to do some hero shit, and we've got to reciprocate with some hero shit. And with 412 left to go, 328 left to go, 245 left to go, 
236 left to go, 155 left to go, 132 left to go in the game. They didn't need hero shit. They needed competent offense. They needed just get the best shot, get a good look, run good offense. And I don't think that's what they did. I think that when Golden State pushed that lead to 100 to uh, 97, I think it was a situation where it was kind of like Boston played like the game was farther out of reach than it really was. So 4-12 left to go in the game. Brown misses a three-pointed shot. Curry makes a Running 12-footer, 97-94. Then Taysom, uh, Jason Tatum misses a straightaway three-point shot, top of the key extended. Curry misses a 60-foot shot, guarded by Horford on the right side. Good switch, good uh, defense by Horford. 2.45 left to go, another three-point shot. Marcus Smart this time is shooting a three-point shot. Clang, Jalen Brown gets the rebound. Passes it back out to Smart. He shoots another three-point shot with 2.36 left to go. Clang. Look, man, if you guys are just going to be standing around doing nothing, at least get the ball to Tatum and Brown. I mean, if all you guys are going to be doing is jacking up bad three-point shots, I don't want Marcus Smart shooting up bad three-point shots. Give it to Jason Tatum. Let him shoot the bad three-point shot. I mean, hell, even throw it over to uh, Jalen Brown. Let him shoot the bad three-point shots. I don't want Marcus Smart shooting bad three-point shots. I don't want him doing what he tried to do at the end of Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat, which was basically saying, I don't feel like winning this game. I don't feel like winning this series. Here, let me throw up another brick. 236, again, uh, off the offensive rebound. Smart misses a three-point shot. Looney turns the ball over. So it's still a game. But guess what? Right side. Right corner, Horford misses the three-point shot. Then Curry says, thank you very much. I'm great. Let me show you how it's done. Bango! 100-94 with 142 left. And that's, if you're a Boston Celtics fan or if you're rooting for the Celtics, that's where you started thinking, oh, shit. We're going to lose this game because now, now you're starting to see the Celtics say, fuck the offense, fuck getting good shots. We've got to match hero ball with hero ball. And you ain't going to be matching hero ball with the greatest hero ball shooter of all time, Steph Curry. You ain't going to do it. Even though with 132 left to go, Horford makes a three-point shot to bring it back to three. Yay! But it was fool's gold, man. Because what happened? They rushed way up at the top, Steph Curry. Curry throws the bounce to Draymond at the top of the key, making it essentially a 4-3. Passes it left side to Looney for a layup to make it 102-97 with 104 left. Again, it was a situation where the greatness of Steph Curry, because even though he was that far away from the basket, you knew that he could pull and make from way out there. So you had to get the ball out of his hands, which was a smart move, but it created a 4-3 opportunity for Golden State, which resulted in a layup bad move. So, so basically, it was a situation where you tried to double-team and get the ball out of the hands of Steph damn near the, near the half-court area, which is great, but it left too much space and too many opportunities for Golden State to take advantage of, and they did with a minute four left. That is the Steph Curry effect and impact right there on the basketball game. So a bad offensive possession from Boston. Brown turns it over on the left side, throws it out of bounds as he was trying to maneuver to shoot another three-point shot. That turnover with 56 seconds left with the Celtics down 102-97 ball game. Basically right there, you knew it was ball game, right? You knew unless a miracle happened in the way that the uh, Warriors were playing and the way that the Celtics were shooting and they were conducting their offense, that wasn't going to be happening. So Curry from the foul line put in, what, three or four or five points, and uh, that was the ball game. So if you take a look at the final six possessions for the Celtics, five of those were, or sorry, six of the uh, possessions, there were three-point attempts, five of those were misses. Fourth quarter alone, the Celtics went seven of 21. Ten of those shots were either three-pointers or long two, and they made four of them. Not going to get it done. Not going to get it done. Again, you tried to match hero shot for hero shot with Golden State and Stephen Curry down the stretch, and it didn't work. It didn't work. Boston is a better team than Golden State in so many categories. If you're speaking about the versatility, both offensively and defensively, if you're speaking about the team that's more younger or younger, more athletic and such, that's Boston. The only thing that Golden State has an advantage of in this series, 
championship experience and the best player who's on the court. That's it. That's all. If Curry doesn't go nuts and if Boston plays their game, they're going to win this series. Mention, I said, if Curry doesn't go nuts, because Curry can still score 30-35. If Boston plays their game, they're going to win this series. But you know what's interesting? And I'll end with this. Steph Curry is giving an education. He's giving Jason Tatum a lesson of what it's like to be a true franchise player, to be a true all-time great player. Because, yeah, Jason Tatum has had his moments in these playoffs. Game six, memorable, awesome, unbelievable against Milwaukee. Great, unbelievable, all of these type of things. No doubt about it. But, man, it's a situation where, look, man, Steph is taking it up another notch. And Jason Tatum was was good. But he didn't match Steph Curry. So without that element there, if you take a look at Jason Tatum's game, he wasn't James Harden-ish. I mean, he, he didn't have a bad game. But compared to what Curry was doing and the importance of the game, I don't want to say that I don't want to say that Jason Tatum let the team down. But in in a way, he let the team down. Because he I mean, look. It took many years, took many, you know, situations for Steph to get where he is. And 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 and, and it's unfair to say that, yeah, damn you, Jason Tatum, you need to be as good as this Steph Curry is right now. Man, you know how long Steph Curry has been doing this? Do you know how many championships Steph Curry has, has, has won? Do you know how many NBA finals Steph Curry has been in? Steph Curry, at 34 years old, has been over has been playing in the NBA for over, over 10 years. Steph Curry has been in the NBA finals more years than I think Jason Tatum has played, or, or it's been comparable. So come on, man. I mean, th- th- this is a situation where you're going to try to say that Jason Tatum on a consistent basis needs to step up with Steph Curry when Steph Curry goes nuts. I think it's, I think it's unfair to Jason Tatum. Again, you take a look at all the players who are, who are all-time greats. Uh, Michael Jordan couldn't do uh, at 24, at Jason Tatum's age, what we know him to do as of right now. The Michael Jordan that we all know and love him, Slurp, wasn't the Michael Jordan of 24, 25 in terms of winning championships. I mean, hell, he was a great player. He was an awesome player. He was a dominant force. He was all these type of things. But he did not have that championship experience to match a situation where if Steph Curry was going to be doing that, that Michael Jordan at the age of 24, 25, he couldn't have, he couldn't have in all seriousness match what Steph Curry did. Same thing with LeBron. Same thing with Tim Duncan. Same thing with Kobe. Same thing with Shaq. Maybe maybe Kareem, but after that, that's about it. So yeah, I, I think it's a little bit I think it's a little bit harsh. And I'm I just mentioned it, so maybe I am being a little bit harsh. Maybe I am being a little bit unfair to sit there and say that Jason Tatum let the team down. Instead of saying, Hey, look, man, Steph Curry was an all time great and that performance came on based on years and years and years and years of experience in the NBA and NBA finals and certain situation that Jason Tatum, he's not even near the city limits of what Steph Curry put forth. Steph Curry isn't doing that at Jason Tatum's age, the performance that he had in game four. He wasn't ready for it, wasn't mature enough, wasn't experienced enough. <sighs> the only problem is, is that for the Boston Celtics to win in a situation like that, they're going to need Jason Tatum because there's no one else on that team that can come close to match what uh, Stephen Curry was doing. You're going to ask Marcus Smart to do that. You're going to ask Al Horford to do that. You're going to ask Jalen Brown to do that. You're going to ask Derek White to do that. No, you got to turn to 12-time Jason Tatum to uh, go ahead and do that. So I guess the only thing to say is that we hope that uh, if you're a Boston Celtics fan that uh, – Steph Curry doesn't put on another legendary performance. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if the Celtics come back and win on the road on Monday, which they're more than capable of doing, oh boy, Steph might have to uh, throw on the double Superman cape and do a thing again. But uh, you know what? That's what makes 
watching sports in the NBA so doggone great. All right, I'm out of here. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. As always, as I always say, hey, man, you know what? As we move forward in this society, you know what we need to do. You know what I'm asking you to do. You go ahead and you treat everybody the way that they need to be treated, those who have love in their hearts, those who have respect in their hearts, those who want to treat everybody with love and respect if they're reciprocated, if they are giving the love back to them. Please go ahead and do that, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of where you're living, regardless of what side of the tracks you're living, regardless of what globe, what part of the globe you're living on, despite all of those things, despite what language you speak, who cares, man? Who cares what the color of your skin is? Who cares what gender you are? Who cares if you love a different person or you love a different gender than what you're used to? Who cares about all that, man? If they're a good person, if they're given love and respect and want to have harmonious actions with you, and they're down for what you're going to be down for, which is love and unity for respect and others, man, you go ahead and you do that. And you take that love, you take that devotion, you take those lessons that you learn from people who may not look like you, who may not love someone like you, who may not have the same different backgrounds and likes and dislikes as you. You take those lessons that you learn and you break down those stereotypes and you teach the younger generation so they can learn, so they can go ahead and learn about Asians and Hispanics and blacks and in Jews and lesbians and gay folks and all in, in, in Muslims and all that type of stuff. So we can go ahead and have a society where we are truly one in terms of unity, um, love, and peace. That's what this world needs now, right? So Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, thank you so much for listening. Get me out of here, my man, with a little bit of music. Music.